Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. everybody and welcome back to Dimming the Gaslight, our healing journey from narcissistic abuse. My name is Mac and I am so glad to be back for episode two. Um, before I get started though, I wanted to thank everyone for such overwhelmingly positive feedback on episode one. Um, I'm getting a lot of messages and kind words from everybody and I'm so glad that you know you guys can all relate. Um, if you liked episode one, it's only going to get better. So I'd, I'd appreciate if, uh, everyone would subscribe and rate and review and share the podcast. Um, it really does help get the name out there. And I want to grow this into a community, um, that is all inclusive for everybody. And I want to share my story. I want to share your story. Um, I want to make sure this podcast uh, you know, it becomes a place where people can come and feel safe and vent and get things off their chest. And, you know, we can all look back and say, you know, wow, I, I shared my story and I feel better now. Um, so thank you again. Uh, I also wanted to plug my Instagram handle as I did last week. It is dimming underscore the underscore gaslight. Again, that's dimming underscore the underscore gaslight. Uh, and if you'd like to be on the show, you can email me at dimmingthegaslight at gmail.com. Um, and I would love to have you guys on and I'd love to set up a time that, you know, we can talk and record your story. Um, one last thing. Uh, so after last week's podcast, I had a friend who he's a super techie guy and, uh, he listens to the podcast and he said, you know, Mac, um, the content was fine. It was good, but your sound quality was awful. <laughs> so he sent me a mic and a filter and, uh, you know, hopefully now I'm living up to his standards and I sound clearer. So, um, Mo, I wanted to shout you out. Uh, if you hear this brother, I appreciate you. Thank you. I love you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for, uh, setting me up with this and, uh, I hope it lives up to your standards. Like I said, so, um, uh, so going back to episode one, uh, there was a part where I was in my story and I was telling, uh, I was saying, you know, my name is Mac and you're probably wondering how I got here. So, um, that's the title of this episode. Um, I'm going to tell you the story of my love bombing phase, my trauma bonding phase, um, all the way up to the point of my marriage. That's my plan for today. Uh, it's going to take me a few episodes to tell my whole entire story, but, um, you know, you're going to get a good feel for how I got locked up. <laughs> and uh, by telling this story, um, I'm hoping that it starts to take away from 
some of the power. Uh, I'm hoping that it takes away from, you know, this, the power of the story. Um, and I'm hoping that, uh, you know, I start to feel better after telling it. And that's, you know, the whole mission of this podcast. So um, here we go. Uh, I'm going to touch briefly on my childhood because I think it's relative um, and it has a part to play on, you know, um, why I wanted my relationship to work so badly. Um, so my childhood was rocky, just to be upfront, to be frank. Um, I experienced a lot of death at a very young age. And uh, my mother was one of nine children and her family was um, super well known in the town. Um, but genetically, there was something very wrong with my mother's side of the family. Of those nine kids, um, half of them passed away very young um, from some form of cancer or heart attacks or brain aneurysms or just really tragic stuff, okay? And um, growing up, my mother had breast cancer and lymphedema and melanoma, like a litany of really intense health issues. So I grew up with a mother always being very sick, constantly sick all the time. Um, my mother's siblings, my aunts and uncles, they all had kids of their own. And these kids also had health issues and some of them passed away. Um, so my health is okay. I'm perfectly healthy. Um, I had, growing up, I had friends who actually passed away in like car crashes and some of them got into drugs and stuff. I had, I had another friend who passed away because of leukemia. Um, so I was exposed to a lot of loss at a very young age. And it's, you know, something I've worked through in therapy and stuff like that. But um, as you might expect, I became a kid that was acting out. Um, I became super rebellious. I was into punk rock music and staying out all night with my friends. And um, I was always getting in trouble. And my poor mother would always have to go to the principal's office in school begging me not to, you know, begging for them not to suspend me, <laughs> um, which down the line, uh, it, it, you know, took a toll on our relationship the older I got because she never really forgave me for things like that. Um, and to make matters worse, um, when my my parents divorced when I was about 16 years old and um, I had an older sister uh, and she and I never, she and I really never got along. Um, I didn't have the, the reason I'm telling you this story is I didn't have a tight knit family dynamic growing up. Um, and I tell you guys this to show you that later on down the line, um, a close family dynamic is all I ever wanted in life, okay? So when I was about in my mid-20s, um, I realized that I hadn't really healed from some things in my childhood. And I kind of called it like my, my quarter-life crisis because um, I realized I was masking, you know, issues with drugs and alcohol and girls and just, you know, self-destructive behavior. Um, and I kind of had this epiphany that, um, like because of my childhood, I was trying to control my own mortality. And I realized I want more from life than just being sad all the time. And, you know, I didn't feel like I had any direction in my life. I felt like I was bored and stagnant and like, I wasn't, you know, just, I wasn't living life to the fullest. And I thought... If I could live life to the fullest, um, what would I do? So um, at around 26 years old, uh, I came up with this idea to make a bucket list 
um, as if I was going to die when I was 26 years old. Um, again, I'm in good health, but uh, I really wanted to see this bucket list through. And for everything I did with this list, um, I kind of put it out there on social media to see if other people wanted to do things or um, I would find things other people wanted to do and do their things. So like I did a lot of really cool stuff. Like um, I organized 17 people to go skydiving. Um, I personally ran the New York City Marathon. I went white water rafting. Um, I managed to stay silent for 24 hours and like self-reflection. That was really cool. Um, I met my favorite celebrity. Um, so I did a lot of really cool things and, and yes, starting a podcast is on my bucket list. So now I can cross that off. Um, so all kinds of really fun stuff in my mid twenties and my mindset became very like carpe diem, you know, and, um, it felt like. Other people, just like this project, other people kind of echoed the same sentiment. Like, I, I felt like we were all like grown up, pissed off teenagers. And like, what did we have to show for it? You know, and this bucket list idea really resonated with people. Um, and it helped me get close to people, <clears throat> excuse me, it helped me get close to people where I wasn't really able to do that growing up because I had a fear of losing people, obviously. So um, at this time, I was in a super good place mentally. I was happy. I felt fulfilled. I was helping people. They were helping me. Um, life was really good. And I look back at that time of my life as the prime of my life. Um, I mentioned in the first episode that I had a friend who he used to say like, dude, you are, you're too positive and it's annoying and it sounds disingenuous and he's getting sick of it. And my point is I was just at a really good place. Okay. So one night, um, I was at a party with some friends and I see a pretty little blonde girl across the room. And to be honest, I don't remember talking to her like one-on-one. -on -one. Um, maybe I, maybe we talked to like a group of people, but I don't remember ever talking to her one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but she was really pretty and I was really attracted to her. And uh, later on that night, I guess I didn't have any courage to talk to her. Maybe that was it. I don't remember. But um, later on that night, she Facebook friended me and uh, we ended up messaging that night for a while, maybe like an hour or two. It was a while. And um, ultimately, uh, I got her phone number and we started texting. And then texting turned into phone calls. And then phone calls turned into FaceTime. And FaceTime turned into long, deep conversations on the phone all night until like three, four, five o'clock in the morning. Um, and we really became attracted to each other. And we would have these super deep conversations. And um, she would tell me about uh, her past relationships and how uh, she was like physically and emotionally abused and how her former relationships, you know, they were abusive towards her and they would beat her up and um, they would throw her down the stairs and she had stitches on her head, which, you know, in retrospect, I was married to this person, so I never saw any stitches on her head. But um, 
I even remember her parents even saying one time, <laughs> I don't know if I should share this. Well, whatever. Now, now I kind of open the can of worms. Um, I remember her parents even saying one of her boyfriends had a Nazi tattoo or something like that, which, you know, you're probably wondering why would someone date somebody with a Nazi tattoo? But in my next's defense, she's an idiot. So <laughs> I don't think she knows what a swastika even looks like. And also, um, keep in mind, things are not what they seem if you catch my drift. So we'll get into that. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, so she told me this whole long sob story. Okay. And, uh, it was right around the time of New Year's Eve, okay? And I asked her out on a date on New Year's Eve. And she actually told me that she couldn't go out with me because she already had a date for New Year's Eve with somebody else. And I was like, who? Who do you have a date with? And uh, she told me the guy, and I knew the guy. And Listen, I, we were we had only been talking for maybe about two weeks, so I had no right not to tell her to go out with this guy, but I liked her, and I didn't want to lose my shot. So one of the conversations we had was about how I didn't know how to drive stick shift in a car, and mind you, I've been driving stick shift for years. Like, my second car was actually stick drift. I knew how to drive stick shift, but I wanted her to think I didn't know how to drive stick shift. Um, and I wanted her to teach me. So um, we got in the car on New Year's Eve before she went out with this guy during the day. And uh, I told her I didn't know how to drive stick shift. So she took me in her car, which was a stick. And, and she, what she thought, she was teaching me how to drive stick. I was just being slick and I didn't want to tell her the truth. And then she also told me that she had to go to the mall to get a dress for – she was going with this guy. It was like – I don't want to call it like a it, I guess it was kind of like a dance or a gala. It was at like a catering hall type thing. It was, I don't know, probably a sit-down dinner, whatever it was. Um, but she said she had to go get a dress for this. And I said I would go and I would help her shop. So um, we finished up shopping. And uh, we got back to the parking lot where my apartment was. And we get out of the car and I help her put her bags in the car. And then I said to her, um, I said to her something along the lines of like, you know, I wish I was going out with you tonight. And since I won't be going out to you with you tonight, I guess I need to get my New Year's kiss now. And uh, that was our first kiss. Um, so later that night, she did go out with this guy. But she was on the phone with me all night, talking to me, or talking to me, not texting me. She was talking to me out with this guy. Uh, and I guess she snuck out on the gala or something. But um, she chose me over this guy, which... Uh, it was a slick move by me. Um, our first date um, was at a place called Flirt Sushi. And Flirt was fun because all the sushis had different inappropriate names. So like there was like the foreplay or the or the climax or the miso horny soup. It was just all these really cheeky and funny ways. And it was fun to watch your partner, you know, whoever you were there with, get embarrassed uh, ordering your food. Um, so that was our first date and we ended up closing down the entire restaurant. You know, we, we were like the last people there and we really bonded Yeah, And, uh, so, uh, we started sleeping together and sex was amazing. Um, but something really weird would happen, um, where in the middle of the night she would pop up 
in the middle of the night with like a nightmare and say that she was like, she would sit straight up and she would have these nightmares of like her exes abusing her. Um, and I would quick and I would grab her and I would hug her and I would comfort her and I would be like, everything's okay. You're safe. You're, you're with me. You're safe. And I would never do that to you. And, and, uh, she would cry and, uh, you know, in retrospect, I wonder if I was even asleep and she probably knew I was awake when she was popping up. I don't know. I'll never know. Um, so one day, um, I was in my apartment and I had met her parents already. Okay. Um, I had met her parents and we didn't exactly hit it off her, her parents and I, her family, her father was like this blue collar worker. You know, he was an outdoorsman. Um, I was a very white collar guy. I was into like, you know, organized sports and stuff like that. And, you know, he and I were just nothing alike. The only thing we had in common was his daughter. Um, and her mother was a homemaker her whole life. She having conversations with her mother was always really difficult. Like I remember, um, one of our first conversations, like was something about like what kind of music I liked. And, um, I guess I was trying to like apply the conversation to her and like, you know, I said like, Oh, I'm into like classic rock and like music from the sixties and seventies, like the Beatles or Creedence Clearwater Revival and stuff like that. And I remember being like, Ugh, they suck. I'm like the Beatles, the Beatles suck. I'm like, you can say the Beatles are overrated, but you can't say the Beatles suck. Um, and I was like, Oh, you know, okay. All right. The Beatles suck. Like I didn't want to ruffle any feathers, but like the Beatles don't suck. Um, and like I said, anything I liked, she'd basically say the opposite. And it was just a weird dynamic with her family. It was just a weird dynamic. So um, one day uh, we were dating, you know, she and I had been together for a couple months and out of the blue, her mother calls me and says, listen, I feel like I have the need to tell you this. And she goes, my daughter has never not had a boyfriend. And I was just listening to her and she goes, there's always been an overlap. And I was like, what? the hell is this woman telling me? And she goes, um, and also she might be anorexic. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, I'm like, that's really crazy information. And you know, your, your, her own mother is calling me to tell me this. And I told her mom, like, listen, I really care about your daughter. You know, um, we're good together. And, uh, you know, she eats with me. I don't think she's anorexic, but I'll keep an eye on it for you. And I remember, hanging up the phone with her mom and you can imagine my confusion, you know? Um, but I did what I said I do and I paid attention to her and I watched her and you know, she was okay and we were good together. Um, but I didn't know what to do with that information. Um, and then, so there's another time, you know, she and I, we were, it wasn't really a party. It was just a couple of friends were sitting around and we were hanging out. And, um, I was just listening to like whoever was speaking at the time. Like so one of my friends was maybe telling a story. I don't even remember what that, what was happening. Um, but I remember she like leaned in and like, kind of like, you know, on the side of my ear and she's like, what's the matter? And I just kind of like looked him up looked at her and looked, looked back and forth. And I was like, what, what do you mean? Um, what do you mean? What's the matter? And I'd say, you know, nothing's the matter. I'm, I'm just listening to whoever's talking. And why do you, you know, say that? And she would be like, well, you look mad. 
or sad or something. And I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm just listening to this person. I assure you, I'm, you know, my brain is, my brain's probably on like, you know, pizza or Xbox or like, I wasn't even thinking of anything. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I felt really perturbed about like why she would be analyzing my facial expressions, especially when like, I swear to God, I wasn't thinking about anything. I, you know, and this would pretty much go on pretty much our entire relationship, her like analyzing my body language or my facial expressions and um, creating this like weird doubt or something about like how I look or how I feel or how I move or how I act. I don't know. It was weird. And then another time she, we were like at a party or something and it was so out of her character, knowing her character now, but she's like, do you want to go have sex in the bathroom or something like that? I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I was like, I, I respect you. Like, you know, we can go to my apartment, but like, I'm not going to some bathroom. This isn't like, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Um, so one day we were driving and she asked me to help her pick out some stuff from somebody's house, okay? And well, when we got to the house, it was clear that this was an ex-boyfriend's house. And he was getting the stuff out of his house and putting stuff on the sidewalk to be put in her car. And he didn't say a single word to me. This guy literally was like carrying TVs and like whatever. And he walked right past me and would put the stuff down on the sidewalk by her car and just walk back in house and get something else and walk it out. And um, I expected him to like curse me out or be like, are you the new guy? Or like say something. But no, he said nothing to me. And this was also the guy that she claimed was super abusive to her. So I thought he would have been abusive to me. And I remember also, I remember looking at him and I was looking for a Nazi tattoo and the guy had no tattoos. So when everything was like packed up in her car, um, I, I said to her, I was like, hey, don't you think I'm owed an explanation right now? And she's like, no, 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 it's okay. Like, don't be worried. It's been over for a long time. And I was like, she's like, he just had my stuff. And I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking about what her mom told me. And I'm like, but like, why? I said to her, I was like, why does he have your stuff? If it's been over for a long time, why isn't your stuff gone? And she just like danced around it. Like I never really got a straight answer. And I just remember driving away from the house and like, I guess I didn't want to like rock the boat. I don't know. Um, it was a really confusing situation to be put in. Um, and then like she said, she had to talk to another friend or something and like apologize for something she did. And it was like the apology that she was making to her friend was like about her getting beat up by her ex. And to this day, like the story never really made sense. It never really added up. Like, why are you apologizing for getting beat up? Um, I think like, there was something along the story of like her, her ex-boyfriend like left her in a stairwell after like beating her up. I don't know. It was really weird. Um, and I asked her about it. And again, like I couldn't get a straight answer. Listen, I know like these stories individually, um, they might sound like 
isolated incidents or like coincidences or something, but cumulatively, I assure you they're going to fit together. Um, so by this time, what I figure now is red flags were probably starting to show. Okay. And she had to play some damage control with me. So she got us, we had only been dating for maybe about two months. Okay. And she got us a cabin in the Poconos for my birthday. If you don't know what the Poconos is, um, it's this really super wooded area out in like Pennsylvania. Um, and they have like a lot of like log cabins and stuff like that. Really beautiful area, lakes and stuff like that. And, um, she got me a, a cabin with her in the Poconos for my birthday. And like I said, we were only together for maybe like two months, but I remember calling my friend before going and feeling like I said to him, I was like, isn't it kind of early for me to be going on vacation with this girl? Um, but like, then again, I mean, you can use your imagination. Why wouldn't I go out with her? You know, why wouldn't I do this? Um, and she cooked for me. She cooked me this beautiful chicken franchise dinner. And we had this big, beautiful, amazing cabin. Um, and it was an amazing time. It was a wonderful time. Um, while we were at the cabin, um, she wanted to make her own bucket list. And on her bucket list, one of the things that she wanted to do was go do the polar bear plunge. If you don't know what the, the polar bear plunge is, it's essentially like this event in the wintertime where everyone raises money for charity and then you go running into the freezing cold ocean. Um, like it's summer, but you go running into the freezing cold ocean and, you know, you get the shock to your body. And it's really fun. It's actually really fun. It sounds stupid. Um, it's cold and it's stupid. <laughs> but this was like um, – this was our first fight, okay? So – when I did the whole bucket list idea, okay, I would just, before I met her, I would just put out on Facebook that I was doing whatever the thing was. So if I was going, you know, running down across the GWB or something like the George Washington Bridge or something, like I would just post it on Facebook and I would invite anybody to come. Anybody, you know, I would say, hey, I'm going skydiving this week. And if anybody wants to go skydiving, hit me up for the details, right? And, um, you know, uh, I would get responses and I never told anybody they couldn't come. You know, it was like if somebody wanted to do these things, like they should come. Right. So, um, I did like this, you know, basically it was like this all inclusive thing, just like this podcast. I want everybody to be involved. So, um, a pretty girl that I knew prior to my wife, um, wanted to do the polar bear plunge. And I guess at one time I had liked a picture on Facebook or something of her in like a bikini before I knew my ex, my next, um, before I knew like we were together, you know, before I even knew her, I liked this picture. And, um, but this girl wanted to come and it threw my necks into this tailspin, um, having known that this girl was coming. And she claimed I invited her there and I just wanted to, you know, have my cake and eat it too. And, um, I wanted all this attention from these girls and I had to, like in reality, it was just a stupid picture on Facebook. And did I regret it? Yeah, I regretted it, but like it wasn't, there was no malicious intent. My intentions were good. Um, but it ruined this whole bucket list item because like I had to convince her when all the when all the other bucket list items I did, they turned out awesome. Um, with this, I had to like 
you know, play damage control and I'm so sorry. And like in reality, like what did I really do? I like to picture on Facebook, like I'm sorry that it upset you. I am. I understand why it would even upset you. But there was no malintent and uh, I didn't feel like it should have ruined the whole day. But this was the first time she really got pissed at me. And then um, she started saying like, oh, I'm seeking attention from people and, you know, she started, um, like talking shit about my friends and she claimed, she claimed on my birthday or something that she had messaged my best friend on Facebook about like what to get me for my birthday or something. And she said that he didn't respond. Um, so that made me go back to my friends and I was like, you know, did, were, are you, you know, ignoring her messages or something? And he's like, no man, what, like, why would you even say that? And I was like, and he showed me the messages and, uh, she didn't message him. And so like I went back to her and I was like, why did you say that you messaged him, but you didn't message him? I was like, why are you like talking about my friend saying like attacking his character saying he didn't message you when the guy, you never sent him a message. Um, and again, no straight answer. And you know how they are. Like they like to tell like um, like the beginning and the ends of the stories, but then they leave out like the relative truth in the middle so, like, they'll say, like, oh, well, I messaged him, but I guess, like, you know, I never hit the send button or something, so it never went through. So, you know, it's, like, these half-truths that, like, they make sense to them, but you you always listen to these stories and you go, that didn't happen, man. You know, like, no way, you know? And, and my friend was pissed that, like, she used him as, like, her scapegoat or whatever you want to call it. So, um Weird things were starting to happen. And like, um, oh God. So shortly after that, we came to find that, oh God, I, huh, we, we came to find that she was working with my ex-girlfriend from high school that I dated for like, I don't know, like five or six years, like a long time. We found out that she was working with her. And then we found out that another one of her friends was working with this girl that I had gone on a couple of dates with right before my next. So I don't know if it was like bad luck or what, but I don't know. I felt like, listen, it shouldn't have mattered, right? Like I wasn't doing anything. I was, I was devoted to her. You know, I didn't do anything to show her that I wasn't committed to her. Um, I think the thought of working with someone else that had I had been with was probably too much from her, which I get it from that side of the coin. I, I mean, it would probably be a lot for me, too. Um, but ultimately, personally speaking, I would think like, no, like I won, you know, like I would want, you know, if if, if I were working with my nexus x i would want to make him jealous right like i'm um i got her you know you it's your loss um and also i felt like it was such like an invasion of my privacy to have to revisit my past relationships that i had healed from and i really didn't feel like i owed her that because there were these connections that i had no control over i couldn't control that somehow they got a job together um but again like somehow we worked through it probably because like of, you know, the physical connection and the deep conversations. And we were still doing that stuff even, you know, but we were talking about like, uh, you know, I would have to apologize. 
I would have to apologize for the just uncanny coincidence that she ended up working with my ex. Like she couldn't possibly think of me with anybody else before her. So at this time I was getting kind of sick of it all. All right. And, uh, I was starting to wonder like, is this even worth it? Um, and I was starting to get really annoyed with the drama and, um, she was kind of like a, she was a badass chick. She had a, like a motorcycle and a jet ski and quads and stuff like that. She grew up in the sticks and she got us these tickets for, um, like a motorcycle show at a nearby arena. It was kind of like one of those monster truck shows, um, but for motorcycles. Um, and I don't give a shit about that, honestly, but, um, I was just pissed off with all the drama and I didn't want to go. And she was begging and begging and begging me to go. And, and this was the first time um, I had seen her want to like sweep things under the carpet, I guess for her image, because like she had already bought these tickets. And if I didn't go to this, sh this motorcycle show, like what was she going to tell people that I didn't show up? You know, she had no alibi. And so she was just sweeping things under the carpet. And I started to realize like this constant push and pull and push and pull and push and pull. And I was just getting sick of it. And I remember like not wanting to go to this motorcycle rally and her begging and begging and begging. And eventually I caved in and I went and we went, you know, we went and we took the pictures of us kissing in the stands and like acting like nothing happened. Um, and it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. But there was also reasons to stay, you know, um, we were creating a history with each other and I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave. So, um, she, she rented, uh, a seasonable, a seasonal home in, um, a lake community in, uh, the town she grew up in. Okay. And every summer it was a lake house. It was on the lake. And every summer, the landlord would kick her out just for the summer seasons. Um, she'd have to move out in like the end of June when school was over and then she could move back in in September. And it was horrible because we, we, she had this awesome house on the lake, but we couldn't use the lake in the summer. So it was like, what was the point? Um, so every, every summer, well, for like two or three summers, I think it was, I had to move her out in June and move her back into September. Um, you know, just so she could rent this lake house that we couldn't even use. But in the summer, I had my own place and I let her stay in my apartment. Um, so this was like our first experience really living together. And she said that she would have sex with me and buy groceries. And I said, good deal. So, uh, you know, I didn't make her pay rent or anything. And we just kind of tested our living together for the summer. So during our first summer um, was her birthday, and um, I touched on it on the last podcast. I booked this amazing trip up to Maine for her birthday, and I had like all these really beautiful things. I took her horseback riding, and um, we did like uh, there was this beautiful restaurant um, on George Bush, the former president's uh, compound, and this beautiful restaurant. And I took her to this restaurant. Um, and have you ever been like in an experience where you're such like a regular Joe Schmo, you know, you're just a regular guy around like really rich people <laughs> and it feels really like 
funny and absurd that you're around these rich people because you know you don't belong there. Um, but you're there. You're there anyway. We were eating like lobster ratatouille in this this George Bush's compound overlooking the ocean. It was beautiful. And we we were just like looking at each other and giggling about like how amazing the meal was and how like, you know, overlooking the ocean. Um, so one of like the major D's or something like came up to her and he was like, where did you get that beautiful dress from? And and he's like, no, he said, what boutique did you get that beautiful dress from? And he used like the word boutique and we both just laughed at each other. She goes, um, I don't remember. And it was, uh, it was Kohl's. <laughs> if you guys have Kohl's, I don't know where you are in the nation, but it was Kohl's. It was a department store. It was just really funny. Um, and we had this beautiful trip in Maine, you know, um, and we were, you know, let's just be honest. We were falling in love. We were falling in love. Um, so my lease ended up running out on my apartment and I didn't want to renew it for another year because I didn't know what was going to go on with us. So I agreed to move into the lake house and we lived together there for probably, I don't know, like 12, maybe 14 months, somewhere around there. Um, and by this time, we started talking about getting married. And we talked about it, and um, we went ring shopping. And uh, she ended up buying um, her own she like jumped the gun and she ended up buying her own stone for like the middle of the ring without me knowing, I swear without me knowing, cause it's not like I wouldn't have bought it. Um, but she told me it was like this imperfect stone that had like a chip or a crack or something in it. So it was cheap, but it was two carats. If, if, if you're a woman listening to this, men probably don't know. Maybe, maybe men know if you're a jeweler or something, but it was a two carat stone or whatever. It was a big rock. Um, because she wanted to show it off. Um, and then I bought two custom wedding bands that were, you know, they fit the rock on either side. Um, and those were more than the two carat stone was. Um, so she gave me the stone and she just assumed that I would buy the rest of it when I bought it. And I would probably propose whenever I proposed. So, um, on her bucket list was to um, go ice skating in Rockefeller Center in New York City. If you know where Rockefeller Center is, that's where they put the big, beautiful Christmas tree up every year in Rockefeller Center. And um, so I got tickets for us to do that because she said that it was on her bucket list. And man, I was so nervous to do it. Um, I was so nervous because I was also thinking, like, am I doing the right thing? I mean, there's been so many red flags. There's been so many red flags. Um, why am I doing this? But I didn't want to lose her, you know? And maybe this is um, not something that I generally hear from men, but I'm going to be honest with you guys. I always wanted a family. And maybe I felt like my biological clock was ticking or something like that. Maybe I felt like this could be my last shot. You know, um, I told you a little bit about my childhood. Maybe I was afraid of being lonely. 
Um, I was afraid of being alone. Um, I was afraid of never creating that family that I wanted. All these kind of things, you know. I'll be honest with you guys. Like, this was all in my head, okay? Um, but we got out there on the ice in Rockefeller Center. And uh, I said, like, isn't it amazing how, like, all this came together? Like, you putting this on your bucket list and now we're here and this is amazing, right? And she's like, yeah, this is amazing. And I was like, what do you want to do tomorrow? And she's like, I don't know. Let, she's like, let's just enjoy this right now. And I said, okay, well, what do you want to do next week or next month or next year? And we were ice skating and she turned and gave me this look. And I said, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? And I got on a knee and I said, I want to marry you for the rest of my life. And she said yes. And we had thousands of people in New York City clapping for us as we, you know, went ice skating. Um, and we didn't last very long. We got off and, you know, told our families and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, everybody's nervous. You know, I probably just marked it up to being nervous to get engaged. You know, everybody's nervous. You know, even if you love the person, I'm sure everybody's nervous. It's, it's nerve wracking for any man. Any man can relate. Um, who's done it. But uh, so the wedding planning was brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. Um, you know, her arguing with me about like, you know, not being involved enough, which is, you know, that's normal too. Couples fight about wedding planning and stuff like that. And, you know, listen, I admit as a man, I don't, I don't care. You know, I wasn't involved much besides paying for things. I know, you know, I know women want men to be involved, but we just want to get married, you know, like, we don't care what color the flowers are and, you know, we – listen, ladies, we just want to rush to that feeling of seeing you walk down the aisle and take our breath away. Like that's the moment that every guy pictures when they're getting married. At least I know I did. Um, so we got married um, on the beach, in the sand. Um barefoot in the sand with our toes in the sand we got married on the beach in the summer um and it was the perfect day and it was a beautiful wedding perfect weather perfect food everything was perfect um but as we know narcissists find a way to take these perfect situations and completely sabotage them so guys, I'm going to stop it there. Um, I thank you guys for listening to this episode of dimming the gaslight. Um, I hope that you'll come back for episode three. Um, I'm going to tell you more about the honeymoon stage and having children and how, uh, she devalued me as a father. Um, I'm going to tell you about the constant struggle to, keep a blooming family intact. Um, I know you guys are going to be able to relate um, because you guys know about narcissism and you guys can understand what I went through. Um, again, please subscribe, rate, review, share. Um, you can follow me on Instagram again. It's dimming underscore the underscore gaslight. Dimming underscore the underscore gaslight. Or email me at dimmingthegaslight at gmail.com, um, and I would love to put your story on this podcast. Um, again, guys, thank you so much for listening, and uh, until next time, everybody.